You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. So we are starting a new series this week called The Story of the Bible, and it'll last for seven weeks. You know, when I was seven or eight, I remember a Christmas gift that my parents had bought for us. It was a brand new computer. It was an IBM PS2, and it was exciting. Uh, Literally, if I had that computer here today, it could not open one single photo from your iPhone. That's how minimal the storage and the memory was. But I hadn't been around computers very often, so I was really excited about it. I remember looking at the keyboard and I was familiar with some of the things, like the numbers and the letters, those things made sense, space bars, caps locks were sort of self-explanatory, but I had no idea what ESC was or what control at the bottom or alt, or if I pushed tab, did I get a really bad diet soda that came out the other end? (laughs) And so those things were really, they weren't useful for me at all until I learned what they did and what they were for. And in similar ways, we look at the Bible and we might ask, well, what is the Bible? And what is it for? And until we're able to answer that question, our scripture is not going to be all that useful as those keys on the keyboard weren't useful to me. We have to learn what they are or what it is and what it is here for. And so we like to define it this way. This is not a phrase that's original with me, but the Bible is the unified story of God that points to Jesus. The Bible is the unified story of God that points to Jesus. Paul, when he writes his second letter to Timothy, writes to Timothy and he says this. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul uses this phrase, sacred writings, he's referring to the Scripture. And when he's referring to the Scripture, he's referring to what we know as the Old Testament. The New Testament obviously has yet to be compiled. Paul is in the midst of writing part of it. And so Paul reminds Timothy here to use the Old Testament because it points to Jesus. It's not a bunch of stories that are gathered together about some old guys that did some really cool things like slay giants and survived lion's den. Instead, it's a unified collection of books that form one narrative, one story, the person of Jesus Christ. And so which tells us, like the Bible is not a self-help book. It isn't a science book. It's not meant for a comprehensive look of history. It isn't a book that always answers every question. In fact, reading the Bible often brings more questions than it does answer. And if you've read the book of Revelation, you might know what I'm talking about. The Bible isn't any of those things. 
The Bible is God's special revelation of himself in a unified collection of books that point to one narrative with one purpose, and it is the person and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is. And in light of that, our hearts is that we would ground all of the wisdom in Scripture, every single verse, within the greater unified story of Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to look at seven different themes that are carried through Scripture to better understand that story. We're going to talk about creation, fall, law, Jesus, freedom, community, restoration, all of it a part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. And so my prayer is that God would, in your heart, stir your love for him, that you would see his beauty in ways that would increase your joy, that would increase your desire to follow him, and that you might truly understand that every single word of the Bible points to Jesus. Not it's, it's not an end to itself, they point to Jesus. So let's open up together to Genesis 1. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1 through 2. And then if you'll forgive me, I don't like to do this, we're going to paraphrase part of Scripture and then talk about our creation. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in our word. Father, we come before you today. We are humbled to be in the presence of one another, that we can corporately come together and worship and glorify and praise you, Lord. Make uh, our meager efforts here uh, worthy of you. Multiply them, Lord. Uh, God, we come in here and we know that this week, Lord, there are things and attitudes and postures that we have done that have not communicated you well to the world, that have not loved you well. Lord, we have sinned. And so, God, we pray today for your forgiveness. We pray for your grace to be evident in our lives. We pray that we leave here delighting more in you, more in your redemption, more joyful in you. Use your word to illuminate our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the first action of God, which leads into God creating, and I'll paraphrase this. God makes light, separates it from darkness. He makes the water on the earth separate from the water vapor in the sky. He makes land, and he separates it from the water. He makes vegetation and brings forth all kinds of vegetation according to its kind. He separates the day from the night. He fills the seas and the air with every creature according to its kind and calls them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the sea and the air. And then he brings forth every living creature on earth according to its kind. And after every act of creation, God stops looks at it and says, it is good. God is pleased with it. And then he makes us. And that starts in Genesis 26. And it follows, then God said, let us, that's an interesting phrase, let us 
make man in our likeness. That's a phrase that we have to unpack. What does that mean? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the life, the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and so it was, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Today, we want to explore two phrases that are chalked full of a potential to change what we believe about ourselves and our world on a foundational level. Two phrases that speak with definite, or definitively, definitively and authoritatively on our identity, on purpose, and creator. Two phrases made up of six words for God's glory and for our joy, and those phrases are this, in the beginning and in our image. Today I wanna to convey to you that our very beginnings, the in the beginning, flows from a never-created, infinite, measureless, boundless, cosmic God who by his word spoke the universe into existence to be a witness, evidence of his goodness, of his love, of his glory, of his beauty. And we, his supreme creation, mankind, were meant to reflect his image into the world and amongst each other for our joy and for his glory and so here's the big idea today. It's very simple. You were made to enjoy God. You were made to enjoy God with this caveat, forever. God didn't make you for his enjoyment. God didn't make you to enjoy you as you enjoy your life. No, you were made to enjoy God forever. Now, when we talk about creation, there are certain doctrinal truths that sort of they need to be talked about. How old the earth is, and was creation a literal seven days? Those are important issues that we have convictions about here. But this is not the sermon that we discuss those things. We know that there are faithful brothers and sisters who have different ideas within an, a boundary in creation different convictions, and we certainly have ours, and we will share them from this platform from time to time, and even if you ask us in person. But today, we want to talk about how and why. Why were we created and how we were created. As we journey through our life, all sorts of things are compelled to us as our purpose and our responsibilities. But friends, I have good news for you today. You are made to enjoy God forever. And I say that it's good news because I know that there's other news. I know that there's other news that one has to contend with in our beginnings, in our origins, and who we are, and where we came from. Those questions are fundamental 
to, who we, to, to our identity, to our life. They are so fundamental and so big that they become a gigantic business. Genealogy is a billion dollar business. Tracing our family's history with a defined method like genealogy can answer definite questions with definite answers. We can actually know our roots. We can connect the dots from generation to generation. And in that, there are meaningful outcomes. We can physically and tangibly answer the question, who I am? Because we all wanna know the answer of who I am and who I came from and where I came from. When our origin questions, though, remain unanswered, there is part of us that can remain dead. Today in this room, we have people who have never met their birth parents, who have never met a sibling, who have carried that burden in their whole life. They didn't ask for, they didn't want a whole that never seems to be filled. And still, there are others in this room who know their origins, who know where they came from, who know whose they are and what they came from. Yet, they carry the scars of a beginning, of an origin, where even though we knew the people we belonged to, who we came from, in some ways we wish we didn't. Or we wish that we had something different. There are shared stories in here today of parents who left, of being disowned. And even though it was their decision as an adult, it was you who suffered the consequences. Some of you carry the burden of being the spitting image of a person that loved themselves way more than they ever loved you. You resemble or remember a family member who hurt you, abused you, disowned you, who stole something from you. And all of those realities that you have found on where you came from and who you came from are forgettable, detestable and absolutely crippling. In here today are people who find great joy and satisfaction in knowing who they are and where they came from. But others who have never known what it meant to be loved, what it meant to be safe, what it meant to be protected, what it even meant to be prioritized. And even on the most practical, simplest terms, what it even was like to receive kindness. And so friends, wherever you fit on the spectrum of good beginnings or bad, there is good news for you here today. Because no matter your beginnings on this earth, you have a true beginning that traces itself back to a God who is not lacking, who is infinite, who is always present, and has never, ever, ever stopped being good. Every one of us in here has a great story of our beginnings. And I think it's easy to look at our scripture because of our familiarity with it, and say, well, it makes sense that Genesis would begin with the beginning. It makes sense that our Bible would begin with the business, the, the business of our beginning. But listen, it didn't have to be that way. Our God could have ordered this text through the Holy Spirit any way he saw fit. He didn't even need to include our creation. 
Yet it is his grace to us that the very first book in its very first page starts with in the beginning. The Lord is good to us because he knows that who we are and whose we are is paramount to living in this flesh. And he is good to us in ways that we are incapable of understanding that he would do this for us. And in these early words in Genesis, we find a creation and a creator who is not lacking in anything. He is perfect, endlessly good. And not only did our good creator make us, he made us in his image. You were made to enjoy him forever. John Calvin once said that there is not one blade of grass, there is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. And so before we talk about creation, let's talk about our creator. Even though the opening words of the Bible say in the beginning, we belong to a creator that never had a beginning. He is infinite, always existing. Psalm 93 says, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. And our God has existed as part of the, the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons of God, equally divine, equal in status, equal in power, yet distinct in roles. Before the existence of the world, the Godhead lived in perfect unity, perfect peace, perfect love, perfect surrender, perfect harmony, put perfect in front of everything. That is our Trinity. That is our God. Jesus records in the Gospel of John, in John 17, this is Christ. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the whole world existed. This is Jesus in the high priest prayer in the moments before he is going to be tortured and executed. And he's committing himself to the Father. And he's saying, Lord, will you restore me with your beauty? Will you make me beautiful in your presence again like we once were? So we have a perfect God who is perfect in love, perfect in submission, perfect in peace and unity, not lacking in anything. And so our question then becomes, well, why did he create? Why did he make anything? Now look, there are multiple different ideas of why God created things. And some of them are just water cooler talk. Uh, when we struggle in our lives, when there are pains that are seemingly unjustified in our life, Sometimes we think that God created us because he wanted to do something, that he wanted to have control, that he wanted to make a little world with action figures for his enjoyment, for his pleasure. And that sort of idea is problematic in, in many ways, but mostly because it says that God needed something. God didn't need anything. Before creation, he existed in perfection in the Trinity. He wasn't lacking in anything. The second way we might approach why God made us is presuming that God wanted something or someone to love. And so he made creation to love more. Now, on the surface, that sounds inviting. That sounds good. God wanted to love more. And Certainly God is love, therefore it follows that he loves his creation, but it breaks down in two ways. One is that it follows that if God created us to love and to be loved, then we were created for the sake of God. That God needed something from us. 
something that he didn't already have. And if God needed something from us, what hope do we have in him? It infers that God wasn't perfect to begin with. That he wasn't perfect in love inside of the Godhead. Yet this is the main idea of our culture, that God created us for love. And from that comes a theology or a belief that God is watching over his creation and his greatest joy is to see us happy and for us to feel good about ourselves. That God serves us, provides for us. He comes in our lives when we have problems only so he can solve them. But other than that, he enjoys us enjoying our lives. We view him as this cosmic grandma that just says, I'm just so happy you're happy. That's all. I'm glad that you're happy. There's massive, massive issues with that in many theological spheres. But its biggest problem is Scripture. Because in John 1, 3, it says this. It says that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That doesn't sound like a God who needed anything. In fact, it says that in God was life. So he has life. He has everything. In fact, our existence is being in light of that life. We're, we're from God because he's our source. Everything came from him, not from his lacking, but from his wholeness, from his life, from his fullness. Romans 11, verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so in this verse, it not only says that my creation is from God and through him, but my very purpose is to be for him, to be to him. I was created for him, to enjoy him, to love him, which means that my life is not even about me. It's about him. It's about God. And so our scripture teaches us that God created this world and the universe for his glory and his fame. You could put it this way. God made it all to show how beautiful and good that he is. The whole universe is about him. Our God was not lacking in power or love or peace or goodness. If we never existed, God would still be God, and he still would be good, and we would be lacking in absolutely nothing. Our creation is about giving God the honor that he's due. God does what pleases him. He looks over creation, and he says, that is good. Very good, he says. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he truly is. And look, that's concerning to us in some ways, if we're honest, because it sounds like God's a narcissist. A narcissist is somebody who loves themselves more than they should. Is our God jealous? He is. In fact, when he gives us the Ten Commandments, and talking about creating idols, he says, I don't want you to bow down to them or serve them, for I'm the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. God commands our worship. He demands our praise. See, the problem that you have with a narcissist is they think that they're better than they are, that they're more perfect than they really are, and that grinds us. 
Here's the thing. God actually is. He actually is perfect in everything. Perfect in love, which means that you were made to enjoy him and him alone. And that enjoyment of God has a larger vision in mind that the purposes of God on earth would be fulfilled and that God's name would be honored and praised. God orders, God creates, he gives purpose, he designs, and in his final creation, God makes us, mankind. He said, let us make man, man and woman in our image. The triune God of the universe is not just making an intelligent being, but a vessel, a conduit, an image of himself through which he would reflect himself in the world as that creation finds its worth and unity in him that he would be glorified in our enjoyment of him. You were made to do in this, his creation, the very thing that God has done with all of creation. You were meant to subdue and multiply and order and cultivate and multiply. These are your roles to reflect the goodness of God through your work through your cultivating, through your subduing, through your ordering of this world. And so what does that mean? It means this. Anytime you work, when you are ordering, when you are creating, anytime you parent, when you are subduing, anytime you create or love or cultivate or bring order, restore peace, multiply things, we are doing the very thing that we were created to do. Learning in school, Cultivating your brain to learn new things reflects God because it edifies his goodness that I have a brain that can take a word and remember it and speak it out of my mouth. Turning a wrench at your work has dignity because it glorifies our creator that I bring order and purpose to something. It is you doing what you're created to do. But if we are doing it in a way we first and foremost are not finding our enjoyment with God, we cease to be what we were created to be. If my multiplying and cultivating and subduing and working and creating does not come from my enjoyment with God, it's not that we stop being an image of God. It just means that we are a defaced image of God. And so we ought to think of ourselves as a mirror that was created at a 45-degree angle to enjoy God and his light casts down and hits us and turns at a 90 degree angle and points out to the world. You were made to reflect God. You were made to enjoy him and reflect to the world. Now, here's our great struggle. We'll talk about this next week. We were deceived to believe that we were more beautiful than God. And we turn the mirror around to see ourselves. But God's radiance and glory still shines. But we live in its shadow because we're looking in the mirror at ourselves. And we have grown to love that shadow. We'll talk about Jesus, that Christ comes to flip the mirror again 
And listen, it's really, at its primary core, not even about you. It's about God getting the credit he deserves. Uh, It's about all of creation bringing his glory. You get the benefits of that. It is your joy for that to happen. We were created to reflect God's glory as we enjoy him forever. And so I want to leave here today with two things. I need to take these two things home. You have a better story to tell, number one. You have a better story to tell. You were made with real significance, with real purpose, with real meaning. You are not an accident. You have a purpose and you have a creator who stands eternally good, who desires that you enjoy him forever. Whatever your earthly beginnings were, you have a heavenly beginning that is not lacking. You have a great story. Would you tell it? Would you tell it to the world? But there are some of you in here who need to tell it to yourself. You have a great story. Our God is not a cosmic killjoy trying to mess up your life, and he didn't create you so he could have something to enjoy, but you were created to enjoy him. That is good news. No matter your upbringing, you have purpose, you have reason, and the reason that we can walk through a series called A Living Sacrifice like we just did is that your life is made abundant through your enjoyment of him. And the more we enjoy God, the more glorified he is to the world and to one another. And the more he is glorified in our lives, the greater abundance we find in our living. You have a better story to tell. And number two, you're never alone. You are never alone. I know there are some who have never met their parents or have parents who have left or people who simply don't care about you, listen, you are never alone. Whether you realize it or not, our God is intentional towards you by faith. He is there. I I would like you to think about the sun, not the S-O-N, but the S-U-N. The sun, this gigantic ball of gas that's millions of miles away. We as people like to think of the sun in our own terminology, in our own realities, and so we'll say, ah, look at that sunrise. And we'll say, oh, I'm going to leave after the sun sets. And if it's cloudy, what we say is, oh, look, the sun's peeking out. Now, is that true? It's true for you. Is it true of the sun? No. The sun's never budged. It's never moved. It's never stopped illuminating. It's never not been bright. (laughs) It It never ceases or diminishes. We change. The sun doesn't. And even if you can't see it, your whole existence would be a different story if it weren't there. You would be dead. And friends, the same is true about God. In your perspective, you may think that the Lord is not present, that he isn't here, that he doesn't care, that he is not good, but that's your perspective. Those are what you think is true but they are not truth. Our God is always good, 
and he's always present. He is always light, and he never leaves, and he never forsakes, and he delights in his children. We change. We perceive differently. God doesn't change. He is never changing. He's eternal. He is always with us. And even if you can't see it in this moment, your whole existence would be different if he wasn't because you would be dead. Because in him, all things find their worth. All things find their value. Everything is held together. And all things were meant to find their purpose and meaning through enjoying him. And so that's the big idea today. You were made to enjoy him forever. And that is good news for all of us.